0: Maybe you were able to follow earlier this year the story of a young pastor's wife by the name of Mary Winkler in Tennessee, who appeared to be part of the perfect family. Everyone that was interviewed said that they were just the most perfect, loving couple and loving family until one morning when Mary took a shotgun out of the closet and went into their bedroom and shot her husband in the back at point-blank rage with a shotgun, killing him. Everyone was amazed because they seemed to be such the perfect, loving family. He was the pastor of the church, and she was involved in the choir and children's ministries. But obviously, not all was well in the Winkler family. There were problems that no one else knew about. Now, with months of investigation, it's alleged that there is all kinds of physical and emotional abuse by her husband, the pastor, and all kinds of things going on in that family that ultimately led to her shooting uh, her husband. But it's just the reality that what we see is not always the reality when it comes to families. And the same is true when it comes to the local church. A local church can look like a very healthy, effective family on the outside but once you get inside and begin navigating in that family, sometimes you can uncover some very unfortunate secrets and behaviors and dysfunctions. You see, the family today is rapidly becoming one of the most violent places in America. Do you realize this morning that statistics tell us? That every 15 seconds in this country, another person is being attacked or killed by a close family member or relative. One person every 15 seconds. That means just while we're here listening to this message, another 140 people will have been attacked by close family members or relatives. 30% of all married couples will experience some kind of abuse or violence as a couple during their married lifetime. And 20% of all of the police officers killed in the line of duty are killed as a responding to a domestic violence call. You know what the number one killer of children uh, five and under is in America today? Child abuse. The number one killer of children five and under is child abuse, generally at the hands of a parent or another relative or loved one. The the family and the home is not always the perfect place. It appears to be on the outside. Very often, our families and our homes can become dysfunctional and unhealthy places of danger, not places of refuge. And instead of a home being kind of a safe haven from the violence of the world and from all of the negative effects of the world and all the things kids struggle with at school, oftentimes the home ends up more replicating the world than again replicating the family, the body of Christ that God has designed us to be. Well, unfortunately, the problem has also kind of been transferred into the church. In the sense that you've got all of these unhealthy people coming out of unhealthy families. Many of them end up finding Christ and then they join a family. But they've never learned by modeling or seeing someone else live in an emotionally healthy way. And as a result, we carry our dysfunction and emotional ill health into the church. And very often the church can become a place of great Emotional dysfunction, where rather than open, authentic, nurturing, growing relationships, it's a place of pain and gossip and attack. And Paul wants to remind us this morning that this family of God, the local church needs to mirror the true family of God. We are a metaphor for the family that God is building as a part of his kingdom. And that we need to be a place of emotional and spiritual health and authenticity that is helping other people, one another, grow up into the fullness of Christ, into spiritual maturity. We need to not just coexist with one another, but we need to live authentically and richly and lovingly together as a spiritual family and community not just merely putting up with one another as we gather together. So how can we be that kind of church family? How can we be the healthy family that God desires us to be so that we're not just coexisting with one another or putting up with one another, but we're actually engaging and interacting with one another in an emotionally and spiritually healthy way that helps all of us grow into the effective family that God wants us to be. Well, again, as we continue on in Ephesians four, the Apostle Paul has some very straightforward thinking for us on how we as a church can be the healthy family that God wants us to be. And I want you to follow along in Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty five through 30, 32 actually this morning. And listen to what Paul says here when it comes to what we need, what are the ingredients in a sense of a healthy spiritual family? Listen to what Paul says here. He says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we all are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, in these passages, Paul or these verses, Paul paints for us a picture of a healthy spiritual family. The kind of family that each and every one of us who calls Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church our home should be aspiring to. And not only individually aspiring to, but encouraging and loving others in their aspiration for that kind of church family. And in these verses, Paul shares four essentials, four essentials that we've got to learn and practice if we want to live, learn to live together as a healthy church family. You know, we don't naturally learn, I mean, live together in peace and harmony. It's something that we need to grow at and we need to learn to live together as the body of Christ. So the first essential that I want us to look at that that Paul says we need to learn and practice is that we need to lay aside falsehood. We need to lay aside falsehood. You see, the number one ingredient for a healthy, authentic relationship, whether it be in your church family, in your marriage, in your personal relationships and friendships, the, the number one ingredient is honesty and authenticity. Trust is essential to healthy relationships. And if there is no authenticity and honesty, it's virtually impossible to have a meaningful healthy kind of relationship. It requires that truthfulness. Look what Paul says in verse 25 again. He says, so stop telling lies and let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Now, the first thing I want us to notice are are, are the forms of the verbs in some Key verses here. The verbs in verses 25, 26, 28, 29, and 31 are all in what's called the imperative mood, which means Paul is issuing commands here. He's not making suggestions. These are not just things that would be good to do if you get around to it sometime or optional things. No, Paul is saying these are absolute requirements for you as members of the body of Christ, they're commands. And the very first command he gives in this string of commands is he says, stop telling lies, which, of course, presumes that somebody in the church was lying, not being truthful. Otherwise, why would Paul say stop telling lies? Maybe he would have said, don't start telling lies. But obviously there's a problem in the church in Ephesus because his very first command is stop telling lies. Now that word lies there is interesting because it's not a specific reference just to verbal lying. The the word Paul chooses is a much broader word and it refers to all kinds of forms of deception. It could be deception through your actions. It could be deception or lying through silence, or it could be verbal lying. There's more than one way to lie. And what Paul is literally saying here is stop all your different practices and forms of deception in the church. Don't do it anymore. And the reason he says not to do it is because we are all members of the same church body. We are spiritually connected to one another. So why would we want to lie and deceive ourselves? It doesn't make sense. Paul says we need to instead tell the truth to one another. Tell your neighbors the truth. Be not deceptive, but truthful, honest, authentic in the way that you live your life. Do you know that this morning there's more than one way To tell a lie in a relationship. Obviously, you can just make a a gross misstatement of fact, and that's a kind of lie. Or you can hear two people talking and hear something that's absolutely false and by your silence refuse to correct what is wrong and allow that other person to continue believing a falsehood. And you've also engaged in a form of deception rather than setting the record straight. Or someone can be talking to you and make some kind of statement, uh, assuming that it's true. And you just kind of receive it silently and not say anything, allowing them to believe that's true. And that's another form of deception. There's all kinds of ways to lie to one another. And Paul says that one of the foundational ingredients of a healthy family, of a healthy church, is Not engaging in deception with one another, but living authentically, truthfully, openly with one another. Now, I think it's sad that for some reason the church in America has evolved to the place where it's almost the only place in the world that you can't be authentic. Where you've got to put on your happy Christian face and come in. How is everything? Oh, it's wonderful. Praise the Lord, you know. You get in a car wreck. Oh, praise the Lord for that car wreck. I know it. Something's gonna good's gonna happen. Well, how many people get in a car wreck and immediately say, Praise the Lord, and mean it? You know? Well, you're more spiritual than me if that's your case. But you know, sometimes things that happen make it pretty mad. And it's okay to be mad, as we'll see in a minute. But what we need is we need a family where we can be authentic. That is what makes a meaningful human family. Is it's one of the few places we can come and let our hair down and be ourselves and loved just for who we are without having to wear a mask or put on a front or try to impress anybody? And listen, if you are already accepted by the living God of the universe who knows absolutely everything about you and yet accepts you and loves you completely, then shame on us if we can't love you the same. This has got to be a place where we can come and take the masks off and be authentic and truthful, or else we will never have a loving, healthy church family. Deception in who we are is very destructive to relationships. I read in the newspaper a story uh, that took place a while ago, but it's from my hometown of Spokane, Washington, about a man by the name of Billy Tipton who was a very successful jazz musician, and he he ended up dying in 1989 at the age of 74. But a strange thing happened after he died as he was at the funeral home being prepared for his uh, burial and all. The, The mortuary person discovered a very weird secret, and that was that Billy Tipton was not a man at all, but Billy was a woman. Evidently, in the 1930s, in order to have a successful jazz career, you really had to be a man. There weren't many women in jazz ensembles and stuff. And so in an effort to have a successful career, he began masquerading as a woman and ended up becoming very successful and created a lie that he had to begin living out. And so all of his life for nearly 60 years, he lived as a woman, was married, adopted three sons, Who never, ever had a clue until the day of his funeral or as he was being prepared for his funeral. Can you imagine the chaos and emotional confusion that would come when all of a sudden the funeral director calls and says, we need to talk? Um, How do you want me to handle this? Your father wasn't a man at all, but he was a woman. Very, very painful. Very, very destructive especially at the end of life when all of a sudden the masks are taken off and he wasn't who or she wasn't who he appeared to be or however you want to say that. But sometimes we live the Christian life the same way. We can go all through our Christian life wearing a mask, pretending to be one kind of person, and yet behind the scenes in secret or in our person life, a completely different kind of person. That's what was happening in the Winkler home. And all too often it happens here at church as well. We need to be authentic. We need to stop lying to one another, deceiving one another, and being authentic and truthful. But there's a second, a second essential, and that is we need to control our anger. We need to control our anger. Look at what Paul says in verses 26 and 27. He says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I think it's interesting here that that Paul just assumes that we as human beings will experience anger. We need to understand that anger is a God-given, healthy emotion to experience. There is absolutely nothing wrong with experiencing genuine anger. The problem comes when we allow our anger to control us rather than us controlling our anger and expressing it properly. You see, there's absolutely nothing wrong in a relationship with going to someone and saying, you know, what you just did makes me very, very angry. And you can even say that with a little quiver and shake in your voice. In fact, the word anger here means literally to be angry to the point of shaking. It's okay to experience that. God wired us that way. The key is expressing it properly, dealing with it and moving on. Not allowing it to simmer and and to kind of take root and create all kinds of bitterness and anger and and all kinds of negative emotional feelings in us. You know, one of the things that we've done with our kids from the time they were little is, listen, mom and dad are human and we're imperfect, especially mom. No, I'm just kidding. She's here in the second service. Um, So I'm sure I'll hear about that. But just slipped out. Um, But. The the, the whole point is we're imperfect. We're going to do things wrong. And if we make you angry, you need to come to us and say, Mom, Dad, that made me very angry. And we'll deal with it. Don't go in your room and slam the door and never talk about it again. Let's talk about it. And they've been very good at doing that and saying, you know, that made me very angry. That's okay." You see, what happens is when we don't deal with our anger appropriately, you know what happens It turns into what's called passive aggressive behavior here up here in the upper Midwest. We call it Minnesota nice, you know, where we can be very angry. But when we see you face to face, oh, everything's great. Everything's wonderful until we get out in the parking lot. And then we start expressing our anger inappropriately. And and that is not healthy. When we don't deal with our anger like we're supposed to, it becomes passive aggressive. It becomes vengeful and spiteful and bitterness. And all of that thing will kill relationships, particularly family relationships. And so we need to work on that. And Paul says, how can we control our anger? Very simply, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it when it happens. Don't nurture it and kind of, you know, nurse it and and justify it. Why you have a right to be angry, be angry, deal with it. And yes, that phrase, don't let the sun go down on your anger is to be taken literally. Don't allow a full day to pass without dealing with it. If it's at all humanly possible, deal with it at the soonest possible opportunity. Because the longer you put it off, the more angry you become and the less you want to deal with it. And then all of those negative things come into play. And I cannot tell you as a pastor over the years how many people in local churches have nurtured and nursed anger against one another to the point where some of the people in the church can't even face one another or sit at the same table together because of something that happened 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. It's ridiculous. And then we wonder why churches aren't growing and aren't healthy and reaching out. Sometimes we don't even like one another. Why would we want other people to come in? I mean, We've got to be that kind of healthy, nurturing place. We've got to learn to control our anger. But thirdly, Paul says another essential is not only do we need to you know, stop lying and deceiving one another and learn to control our anger. But thirdly, we need to learn to carry our own weight. In the family of God, we need to learn to carry our own weight. Look at verse twenty eight. Paul says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others in need. Now, obviously, in Paul's context, historically, this verse had a little different meaning than it does for us. And that is in that first century Ephesus context, many of the pagans that came to Christ were engaged in kind of petty thievery to support their livelihood. That's how they kind of, in a sense, earned their living, was just by pilfering from different places and kind of depending on other people to support kind of their lifestyle, and and they were petty thieves. And oftentimes, because that's the only skill that they learned when they came into the church family... They just continued on in their petty thievery and pilfering, but they kind of pilfered from the church and they kind of lived off the work and the efforts of the other believers. And they kind of just coasted, never carrying their weight in the church, which made other people in the church become very angry and, and, you know, kind of spiteful that you're not carrying your part of the load. You're living off all of our work. And really, the same can be true in the church today, although we might not necessarily be pilfering or stealing from the church. You know, there's a very, very distinct truth in the church that some people are living off the efforts and the hard work of other people in the church, not carrying their own weight. And let me say this very clearly and distinctly so that you understand just giving money is not carrying your own weight. This is not the kind of situation where we offer a service for money. And so you give us money and we transact some kind of commercial deal where you're buying a service from the church. That's not how it works. And if that's your understanding, it is totally flawed. You give because the money you have is not yours at all. It's God's and he requires it of us to share back with him what we have. But then as a member of the body of Christ, we're all called to carry our weight and to do our part. Not just come in and live off the efforts and the ministry and the service of those who are working faithfully, sometimes tirelessly, to meet and help meet our spiritual needs. We need to be meeting one another's needs. And we need to ask ourselves, are we carrying our weight in the church? And listen, just because you've been in the church 50 or 60 years and said, well, I did my part back then... You still got to keep doing your part. It might change the shape of that and how that looks might change. But we all continually have to carry our weight in the church. Otherwise, what happens is there's these 20 percent that are working like crazy and 80 percent who are living off their efforts. And what happens is people do become a little spiteful, a little angry, like, how can you do that? You come week after week after week and you drop your kids off or you do this or you do that and you never get involved. And sometimes that can create unhealthy relationships in the church. We've got to carry our own weight in the body of Christ. You know, I remember when we were growing up, my mom and dad provided everything for my two brothers and sister and me. I mean, everything. All we had to do was get up and eat their food and sleep in the beds they provided and take baths with the water they provided. It was just a great life, you know, until we got a little older. Then a funny thing happened is we got to be 12, 13. Even before then, mom and dad started expecting us to do things around the house. They start amazingly to us. We thought, wow, you expect us to do something. We thought you just did it all for us. But they began to express uh, that we needed to start carrying our own weight. So we needed to start doing dishes and raking leaves and mowing the lawn and taking out the garbage and doing some of those things. And if we didn't do them. It wasn't a happy environment to live in. You see, it's kind of funny. As people grow up, they're expected to start carrying their own weight in a healthy family. You can't grow up in a family and be 20 or 21, still living at home, still eating mom and dad's food, still you know, sleeping in the bed they provide and not doing anything. That is called dysfunctional, unhealthy, both for mom and dad and for the child. We need to get to a point in the body of Christ where everyone is carrying their own weight and no one is living off the effort and the work of others without contributing anything. Paul says you need to get to work so that you have something to share with others in the body who might have need. And we all need what each of us provide if we're going to be the healthy body of Christ that God calls us to be. But then one final Essential one final essential that Paul shares is that we need to guard against gossip. We need to guard against unhealthy communication patterns. Look what Paul says here in verse twenty nine again. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement To those who hear them. Look what he says down in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Boy, that is a picture of a healthy place to be. But Paul says we need to guard against all kinds of abusive talk. And that word abusive uh, literally means that which is rotten, putrid, foul, rank, disgusting. And what Paul is saying is we need to stop that kind of communication with one another. In the truest sense of the word, you could call that trash talking. You know, that's what gossip really is. It's the ultimate form of trash talking. It's putrid. It's rancid. It causes decay in relationships. It doesn't help build up relationships. We need to make sure that what we're saying in the body of Christ is always going to be building up. We we'll never have to be afraid if someone hears what we're saying about someone else because we know it will be good for them, it will encourage them, it will nurture them. We need to guard against that kind of talk in the local church. And if there's one area that every single one of us sitting here today is not immune from and that we can all grow loads in, it's guarding against this kind of communication in this kind of gossip. Myself included as human beings, there just seems to be a natural inclination to talk about other people. And I've really come to the conclusion that if we feel like we can talk about other people and pick apart all their negative aspects and everything that's wrong with them, it somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't know how that works. But we somehow, if we can focus on all the problems in someone else's life, we're not focusing on the problems in our lives. And all of a sudden we feel kind of justified in in talking about them. And it's not a good thing to do. We need to be encouraging one another, not talking and gossiping about them behind their back in a way that if they heard it, they would be very hurt and offended. And it would help our relationship decay rather than grow in a healthy way. And we need to all be continually asking ourselves when we're talking about another person, would I want them to be here right now? Would I want them to hear what I'm saying about them? Am I saying this because I love them and I'm truly wanting to encourage them? Or is this my way of making myself feel better? My way of kind of judging them. Sometimes our gossip can be so prideful and filled with self-righteousness We need to really be careful that we not engage in that kind of behavior because Paul says it's putrid, it's rancid, it's garbage talk. And we need to only allow wholesome words proceed from our mouths. You know, maybe you've wondered, when is it okay to talk about someone and when is it not okay? I mean, when do we cross the line from healthy conversation about a brother or sister in Christ or a family member? When does it cross the line? into gossip and become destructive, unhealthy talk? Well, I ran across a little proverb that I think can help us determine the answer to that question. And the proverb says this. The difference between a gossip and a concerned friend is like the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. They both cut the meat, but for different reasons. And, you know, we need to ask ourselves, am I being the butcher or the surgeon? Is this kind of corrective activity or is this just kind of, you know, chopping the meat up for the sake of chopping the meat up? We need to make sure that if we want to be a healthy family in Christ, that we stop lying to one another, that we lay aside falsehood, that we truly encourage one another by being authentic with one another. We need to make sure that we guard against gossip and control our anger and and, and truly be the body that Christ wants us to be. Now, let me just share a couple of action steps with you this morning. How can you take this and actually put it into practice this week? Number one, you know, take some time this week to take a look at your life and your relationships and just ask yourself, am I being truly authentic in my relationships and live my life here at the church? It is what people see, what they get. Am I the same at home as I am at the church, as I am in a board meeting or a committee meeting or as a Sunday school teacher? Am I the same all the time or am I wearing a certain kind of mask to kind of masquerade as someone that I'm really not authentically? There's nothing more destructive when people find out that a person has been wearing a mask, not being authentic, it, it, It it creates a lack of credibility. You lose trust with that person. We need to be authentic people. So maybe take some time to just ask you yourself this week. Am I being authentic? And remember, if God can accept you, warts and all, then we should be able to accept you, warts and all, as as well. Number two, is there anyone currently that you have a broken relationship with here at YZ Evangelical Free Church? Is there anyone here? That, that you have uh, unresolved anger towards and it's kind of separated you and you haven't really shared uh, what happened and why it made you so angry or why it hurt, maybe it's time that you pray about it and write a letter to that person or somehow initiate resolving that issue, that anger that separates you. Because it doesn't just separate two of you, it separates families and relationships and it creates a much bigger division than what we think it does. And it becomes a very, very destructive thing. In fact, Paul says that it actually gives a foothold to the devil in our relationships. When we uh, refuse to resolve our anger with one another, we might as well just open the door and say, come on in, Satan, come on in. so, So that you can just wreak havoc in my relationships. That's what we're doing. And so we need to make sure that we're resolving that anger and taking responsibility for those relationships. And then thirdly, a third thing you can do this week is take some time to ask yourself if you're carrying your weight here. Are you doing your part? Or maybe you'd have to admit, you know, man, for the last six months to a year, whatever it is, I've kind of been coasting and living off the efforts of others. We all need to find our niche. We all need to carry our weight and do our part. This is not a business operation where we transact business, where you buy a service from us and we provide it. It's something that we all pitch in together as the body of Christ, every joint and ligament as we saw previously doing its part, building the body up to be all that God has created us to be. Let's pray that God would enable us to learn to live together in a healthy way so that just as we saw those children this morning, we desperately want them growing up in healthy families so they can be healthy and whole that all of us have that opportunity as well as brothers and sisters in Christ to come here and be encouraged and nurtured to wholeness in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've created the church, your body on earth. How, Father, one of the metaphors you use for your your body is your family and that we're all adopted children in that family and that you love us and you long for us to live together. That's one of the primary ways we will bear witness to you in the world that we are different and that you are truly alive and that we've been changed by you as we learn to live together in love. Father, we pray that you would enable us to take whatever steps necessary to do our part towards creating a healthy family here at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church and we'll give you all of the glory in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing for this blessing. These final words of benediction from the Apostle Paul as we conclude this morning. Let's pray together. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. And may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ and all of the family said together. Amen.